So what is the difference between a Paul and like a Demas or somebody who does not finish his course? Well, their eyes were on themselves and not others. They were not focusing on getting stronger to help the weak. That's the bottom line. And the reason that some people are uh, slipping into sin, Christian people, and, and some Christian people are getting offended and miffed at the preacher and, and hit and miss on church and, and into immorality and backslidden is, is because they have lost sight of the goal. The very goal of getting stronger in order to help the weak. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the book of Romans and the 15th chapter. We've been in a series on Romans. It's really hard to believe we're down to the last two chapters. This is a tremendous book. I've referred to it as the Magna Carta of the Bible. And the passage we're going to be looking at today, though brief, just three verses, I think is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. I'd encourage you to listen with all your heart, but do more than that. Determine and even whisper up a silent prayer to God right now to help you practice the truth that you're going to learn from the Word of God today because it is a profound one. It really is. We're going to be talking about it's not about you. It's not about you. I think you see that in these first three verses here of Romans 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor, for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. That's a quote from Psalm 69 talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was written of Christ that he never thought of himself. Never thought of himself. And in the same way, we are admonished to die to self and to live for others. And not only that, but to make it a point to get strong in order to help the weak, to help others. You see, it's, it's not about us, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now, Lord, for this admonition. We pray that you would help us to see the importance of it today, help us to listen carefully, and to leave this place with a sanctified determination to put to practice the truth we've learned here today. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the year is about 56 A.D., and... Paul has been a Christian for about 25 years. He has about 8 to 10 years to go before he would face the chopping block and his life would end. He's at a stage of his ministry to where the stage is set. I've, I've uh, thought of this many times because I, I feel that Paul at this point had hit his stride. I feel like, in a way, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm just finally hitting my stride, if you will. And, and Paul had an expression that he used. He said, I want to press toward a mark at this point. He could see it yonder off in the distance, and he was focused on it. We read in Philippians 3.13, he says, This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice he refers to a mark here, a bullseye, at least in his eye, that he was aiming at. He wanted to finish strong, and he later on did. 
But as we back up and we look at the life of Paul, we see him in the, the early pages of Acts as a, as a babe in Christ. He got saved in Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And we read in verses 26 and 7 that when Paul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed or tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. He was green as grass, so green you could have mowed him almost. And he's just getting started in his ministry. Later on, he aligns himself with the church up north in Antioch. And chapter 13 of Acts opens with these words. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Oh, yeah, let's not forget him. It rattles off five guys, beginning with Barnabas, ending with Saul. He's the last one mentioned. But there was a huge potential there, brewing beneath the surface. I often look at our Bible college guys, and I wonder which one of them has that potential. There, there was this potential brewing beneath the surface here, and, and Paul finally hit high gear, and, then, and his, his ministry is going great guns in, in Acts. In fact, the, the spotlight shifts from Barnabas, who was named first, to Paul, who was named last, and that thing flip-flops, and really heaven's spotlight even shifts from the great Peter to the apostle Paul. And Paul later would say, I labored more abundantly than them all. And he did. It was with God's help. And so as he writes the book of Romans here, now he sees it. He is a grizzled veteran, if you will. It's the autumn of his life. And he's looking at finishing his course, which he does with God's help and grace. You take the life of Paul, which had such a wonderful ending, and you contrast it to the life of, say, a Demas or somebody else, a, a Diotrephes, or, or someone who shipwrecks. And I think we all know somebody like that, Christian people, who, who have a moral lapse. They fall, they fail, or, or maybe they, they get out of church or they get out of the ministry, and there's those who are still in church, but you know some who they've by all practical purposes, died on the vine. And they're not going forward. They're not doing anything for God whatsoever. And they're the type that when Christ says, I come again, will I find any faith? And certainly there will be those who have just gone by the wayside, sadly. So what is the difference between a Paul and like a Demas or somebody who does not finish his course? What is the difference? Well, their eyes were on themselves and not others. They were not focusing on getting stronger to help the weak. That's the bottom line. They forgot that the world is the mission field, and they were the missionary, and they became an advocate of the world and hobnobbed with the world to where they became like the world. And the reason that some people are uh, slipping into sin, Christian people, and, and some Christian people are getting offended and miffed at the preacher and, and hit and miss on church and, and into immorality and backslidden is, is because they have lost sight of the goal. The very goal of getting stronger in order to help the weak, to help weaker people. In, in Mark 10.45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Of all people that should have been ministered unto, it's the Son of God. But he says, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And so he set the example for us. He was strong so that he could help the others who were weak. This is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. And so again, I admonish us all to listen very, very carefully as we talk about this truth. We find in this passage, first of all, what I call the significant strength. Verse 1 
We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Notice, we that are strong. Who are the strong? What is the definition of strength? Is, is it uh, Billy Buff bodybuilder who, you know, is on the weights all day long and, and uh, goes to Muscle Beach and flexes? And, and is it the all-star wrestler who gets in front of the camera and, and does all this stuff? Or is it the, the middle linebacker in the NFL who's, who's all ripped? Is, is, it, is it that person who is the strong person? No, not by God's definition. You can be ripped, you can be cut, you can be buff, you can have six-pack abs, you can have buns of steel, you can have whatever, and it doesn't make you strong, okay? Not by God's definition. You can have all that stuff and still have bad character, can't you? You can have all that stuff and still not pay your bills on time, be dishonest, uh, uh, be irresponsible, you know, talk big and not come through. There are a lot of people like that. You can be physically strong and lack sense. That's Samson. Good grief. Uh, You know, the the bottom line is you can have all that stuff going for you and still not keep your word and still not show up on time and, and, and still not finish a job or clean up your mess or whatever it might be. There's a lot of weaknesses, folks. A lot of weaknesses. Now, verse 1 says, We then that are strong ought to help or to bear the infirmity of the weak and not to please ourselves. How can we be strong? And what is the definition of strength in God's economy? Well, first of all, it's knowing the book. It's knowing the Bible. We read this in Hebrews 5.13. For everyone that useth milk, in a spiritual sense, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. There are those who have been saved for a long time, and they really don't know the Bible yet. There's nothing wrong with being a babe in Christ if you're a babe in Christ. If you're young in the Lord, nothing wrong with that. But if you have been saved or I've been saved for any length of time and we still don't know this Bible well enough to contend for the faith or to lead somebody to Christ, that's pathetic, folks. And it's time to grow up. Everyone that is unskillful in the word of righteousness, according to the Bible, is a babe. Now, there's a second telltale sign of immaturity, and that is a lack of discernment. May I say to you, when I first got saved, and it was probably a couple of months, a few months afterwards, there was a fair in our county there, up in Polk County. And I went to it, and there was a, a tent set up, and it was a religious gathering. And, and uh, I heard things of God mentioned, and of course, I'm a baby Christian. And, and so I go in there, and I sit down, and I'm, I'm listening to all this stuff, and it sounds good, but it was unscriptural. You see, I didn't know the Bible well enough, and I didn't have discernment well enough yet to know that this was off. There was an older Christian from the church who happened to be there, and he saw me there, and he called me out of there and and helped me out, kind of like Priscilla and Aquila did to Apollos. You see, we might lack discernment, and that's a sign of immaturity. Thirdly, another sign is, is if we are afraid to take a stand for Christ. The weak spiritually are those who are so concerned about what everyone's going to say or everyone's going to think that they just won't take a stand for Jesus Christ. They're trying to please everybody. Again, after I got saved, I I was laying low. And uh, I I knew what was going to happen when I announced it, so I kind of was an undercover Christian sneaking off to church and, you know, Bible in the brown paper bag kind of thing and and kind of coming home secretly and quietly and and, uh, until God ate my lunch. Long story. And said, that's enough of that. Hold your finger here if you would, but turn to Luke chapter 22. And let me show you somebody who was afraid to take his stand. And we know who it is. 
Peter, the apostle. We're familiar with the story of Peter denying the Lord, but what led up to that? Well, earlier in this chapter, Peter was arguing who would be the greatest apostle. Boy, that's real spiritual, isn't it? And, and, and with that, uh, on the heels of that, we find that Christ says this in verse 31 of Luke 22, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, he's not talking about the kind of conversion here when you get saved, when you're born again. Peter had already gotten saved. He was talking about Peter really rounding a corner in his spiritual life to where he was honestly strong. Because Peter wasn't strong at this point. He thought he was. In fact, you almost find him insulted here. Here is this burly, hairy-chested fisherman who was a man of men, and he had this real high estimation of himself. And so in verse number 33, he, Peter, said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He said, these other jokers might deny you, but not me. He had this high estimation of himself. He thought he was strong. He was not. He was still weak. And through a series of events, we find here that they come and they take Christ that night as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter's sleeping, by the way. They take Jesus Christ to Caiaphas' house. There he's put on trial in a kangaroo court. We pick it up in verse number 54. It says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Really? Hmm. Not quite so strong now. Following from a distance. This is where he got into trouble. And this is where every Christian gets into trouble, by the way. Following afar off. God help us. Verse 55 And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Oop, there's a second mistake. There he is hobnobbing with the heathen. Uh, He's lost sight of who the mission field is now. And there he is in the midst, warming himself at their fire. Verse 56 says, but a certain maid, God's going to really humble him with a little girl, all right? A certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Now, it's not in this narration, but in another account, another gospel. He's even cursing. That's how far over the edge he is. Why? Well, he was afraid to take a stand. What is weakness? Well, it's the possibility, the possibility of us turning our back on the Lord. Peter did it. Peter, by the way, he quit the ministry later on. He went back to fishing. And he dragged others with him. That's always the case. No man is an island. And so he takes these others with him. And let me just say, we all have that potential, folks. I mean, who are we to point a finger at Peter and go, what a loser here? No. I mean, there are indicators that we could take the same route. Let me give you a few. First of all, if we are continually concerned with what the world thinks, we're a prime candidate to fall. 
we're weak. I remember years ago, somebody who had not been saved too long came to me with a, a, a forum on a Sunday morning and was all concerned because somebody had written a letter to the editor in there that, boy, these people from Fargo Baptist Church, I wish they'd quit passing out these tracts all the time, all this literature and all these brochures. And I thought to myself, praise God, amen, good for us. But this guy was, oh, boy, this person, he's given his opinion. This is bad press. This is bad ink. Don't worry about it. Don't be so concerned about what everybody says and what everybody thinks, especially the heathen. And, and sing the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. A telltale sign of us being weak is if we're worried about what others think all the time. Secondly, if we are easy on ourselves. As Christian people, we pamper ourselves. So different from the lives of the first century Christians who were fed to the lions, who were buried in the catacombs. We, we have this, this mentality, if, if dinner is not on the dot, and if our kids don't get their three squares right on the button here, God help us. No, the Christian life is not a convenient life. And my kids have lived anything but a convenient life. You talk about resilient, they have had to be. They have been late for many meals, missed many meals, many naps. But boy, there are Christians. Woe be it unto anyone who capsizes my perfect little world. That's weakness, folks. God help us. Grow up. It, it, these are tough times. We need to be tough. Now, another sign of weakness is anyone who is hit and miss on church. That is the most basic thing to get down pat. Or has been faithful at one time and is going downhill in church attendance. You're getting weaker. That's a telltale sign of being weak or being hit and miss on devotions. I'll guarantee you, Peter had not been faithfully doing his devotions when he was arguing about who would be the greatest or denying the Lord or contradicting the Lord. He was too busy planning who, who, would, who would lead and who would be the big man, the boss, you know. He was way off the mark. So what is this significant strength? It's not external. It's internal. It's a Christian character. It's a spiritual strength. God help us to have it. We see the significant strength, but secondly, we see the sovereign standard. And notice with me, if you would, verse 3. Back here in Romans chapter 15, and in verse number 3, it says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. It's talking about him bearing the sins of the world and it falling on him, drinking that cup, taking and partaking of that cup, our sin and our reproach falling on him. And it says that Christ pleased not himself. Now, why does it bring Christ into the picture when it's talking about being strong in order to help the weak? Because that's the life he lived. He is the sovereign standard of strength. He is the rock of ages. Cleft for me. He is the rock. By the way, these guys who go around calling themselves the rock. Uh, no, sorry. The rock is Jesus Christ. We read this in Jeremiah 50 and verse 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah, their Redeemer is strong. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. He is strong. You know, when Solomon dedicated the temple back there in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 42, he said, for they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm. Making reference there to our sovereign standard, God, who is strong. We read in Psalm 89, verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee? Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand. 
The sovereign standard is the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in verse 3 of our text here. He is the one we are to uh, imitate and uh, emulate because he faced every temptation possible, you name it, and he came through strong. Think of him fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And at his weakest moment physically, guess who shows up? Old smutty face with three temptations and Jesus Christ aced the test, passed it with soaring, soaring colors there. Even when he was weak, he was still strong. He was strong through the attacks of the Pharisees, continually dog-tracking him around the Judean hills, trying to trip him up. And I'll tell you what I'd have done. I'd have have called down fire on him. That would have been the end of that deal. But he had strength enough to resist doing evil to them because he was strong. He comforted the apostles in their times of weakness and in their times of fear. There was never a moment when Christ was not strong and in control. As a 12-year-old boy, we read about him in in the temple having the answers, being confident, unruffled. And later on, for the next, what, 18 years, he's working in a carpenter shop, uh, pulling out slivers on a workbench. And from there to everything he went through in his ministry up to his trial, the mockery, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, the resurrection, he was strong. He gets his apostles together, gives them some final instructions, and then he ascends up into heaven and, and looks back with the nail-scarred hands and says, mission accomplished, victory, I've conquered. And now, he admonishes us as God's people to be strong. We read in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. We are to be strong. Why? Because our Savior is strong. He is the sovereign standard. And he will be strong throughout all eternity. In fact, we find that there comes a time in the future, and it might not be that far away, when he is going to judge this world system referred to as Babylon in the Bible. And in Revelation 18:8, it says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So in light of this sovereign standard of strength, we are admonished to be strong. Now we sing the song, I am weak, but thou art strong. So we need to tap into his strength and tap into his grace and grow stronger in spirit and grow stronger in truth and grow stronger in love and grow stronger in grace. Are we growing in these areas? Are we growing stronger in... uh, our church attendance, and in our giving, and in our personal devotions. These are, again, the most basic things. Why should we be getting stronger? Well, verse 1 tells us, so that we might be able to help the weak. Plain and simple. In Psalm 24, we find this reminder in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is our sovereign standard. We are to copy Him, which brings me to my third thought here in this passage. We see after the significant strength and the sovereign standard, let's talk about the shielding saints. The job of Christian people to shield or protect those who are weak. Now notice verse 1 again. We then that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. 
and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Now, this comes on the heels of what we've been talking about the last few times about causing people to stumble, tripping people up, which is the very opposite of what we should be doing as Christian people. Those who are strong ought to be helping those who are weak, shielding those, protecting those, defending those, watching over those who are weak. That is our admonition. As Christian people, we should be shielding saints. We must protect people, especially young Christians, from those who would cause them to stumble. Do you know that the devil has some landmines out there? Some traps, some baited traps, cleverly baited and hidden, to trip up those who are weak. I'm thinking of a fellow we had in this church years ago, and um, I believe I led him to the Lord years ago in my office. He got a good dose of salvation, but shortly after, he was watching this televangelist on TV. Boy, did he get sucked in. It, it was very, very close. In fact, it, it blew him out of church, and he was, really, it was a cult. He was following this guy, and, and finally, God dealt with him. Long story, but he called me one day, and he said, I am so sorry. I, I, uh, I was such a fool. And I tried to help him. By the way, I, I showed him verse after verse. I sent him literature. I did this. But, but for whatever reason, he followed this false prophet because there's a lot of them out there. Now, Jesus Christ exposed these, these uh, hirelings. In Matthew 23, I mean, he blisters them if you read that chapter. And though we want to be gracious about it, we in the same way are to protect the weak from those hirelings out there. In fact, in Ephesians 5.11, it says... Not only have no fellowship with the unfruitful uh, works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That word means expose them. Now, we don't do it in an arrogant, condescending way, but we are to expose error. Why? Because people are going to get sucked in by it otherwise. And this business, well, we just got to be everybody's friend, whatever, get along, hold hands. And, I mean, no, uh-uh. We are to expose them that are the fruitful or unfruitful works of darkness. There are a lot of people out there, they know nothing of the new birth. They don't have the author of, of, of the book living inside of them, so they don't understand it. They hurt themselves with it, and they hurt others with it, with the false doctrine that they promote. They are wolves, plain and simple. In fact, they are referred to wolves by Christ, not only Christ, but Paul had this to say in Acts 20, verse 29. He said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, he's not talking about literal sheep and wolves, but he's talking about a local church. He's talking to pastors, actually, from the uh, region of Ephesus here that he had called together in Miletus, met them, and said, fellas, here's some, some parting instructions. There's a lot of wolves out there that aren't going to spare the flock. Watch out for them. You've got to protect the weak from a negative influence. There are so many negative influences out there, folks, and there always have been. In the Bible, we find a guy by the name of Amnon. He's the son of David. He's uh, got an, uh, an illicit uh, affection for his half-sister. It's all wrong. He knows it. He's, he's fighting it and, and may have resisted it if it had not been for a, quote, friend, a subtle friend by the name of Jonadab, a wolf, a negative influence. Amnon was weak, and he got sucked into sin by a bad influence, and he ended up dead as a result. May I say this? to uh, our kids, there are a number of negative influences out there. If you are a kid from a Christian home, you have a bullseye on you. The devil's put it there. 
And just know this, the devil is not going to be happy until he sucks you in. Never forget all these negative influences. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. How is it that Peter could be cursing and and, uh, sitting and hobnobbing with the heathen and warming himself by their fire? Evil communications corrupted good manners. It even got to him. He forgot he was a missionary. He forgot they were the mission field. All of a sudden, there he is. He's one of them, an associate. If you are weak, don't get around people who are negative influence. By the way, that's what took Samson down. Lots of muscle. Burly man. All this physical prowess and strength. But inside, he was weak. He didn't have good character. He didn't have a chance. We need to avoid bad influences. In fact, we're told in Proverbs 22:25, "Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul." Young people, hang around solid people, spiritually solid people. If your associations have loose morals, loose music, loose apparel, loose activities, loose whatever, you are not going to make it hanging around them. The number one thing that brings down a young person in a Christian uh, family is wrong associations. And by the way, they can even be within the church. I've seen that more than once. God help us. Somebody has to be strong. Peer pressure, have you noticed this, normally is bad. Oh, I wish it was good most of the time, but 90% of the time it's negative. Peer pressure is negative. And so you put a a, a simple Christian kid and a scorner together, you have a casualty. I'll guarantee you. You put the weak with the weak. Weak plus weak equals a recipe for disaster. Every single time. I've seen it over and over again. Hang around solid people. One must be strong. You know, you take an Abraham and you take a Lot. And together, Lot was fine. Why? Because Abraham was strong. We read this in Romans 4.20, that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. So here's Abraham, and he's strong. And as long as Lot is hanging around Uncle Abraham, he's fine. He's prospering. He's doing okay. But he gets away from Abraham, and look out. Now, it doesn't mean he was lost. He wasn't lost. Lot was a saved man. In fact, we read in, I think, 2 Peter 2, that he's called just. He's justified. He was a born-again Christian. It's hard to believe, really, when you think of what he did because he got acclimated to sodomy and the perversion of it. He's willing to give his daughters away to the sodomites. It is unbelievable. But it all started when he got away from Abraham. If you are weak, don't hang around the sinful. Don't hang around uh, anyone who is weaker than you because it will bring you down. And if you are saved, and if you are grounded, and if you are strong, our passage here says to get stronger. Why? So that we can help the weak. It's a real simple mission. It's a real simple formula. We see the shielding saints, but finally we see the sacrificial service. And it's mentioned, in at least implied to in verses 2 and 3. Let every one of us please his neighbor. Let's talk about serve his neighbor for his good, to his edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee, he says, fell on me. This is the key. To focus on getting stronger so that we might be able to 
Lift up those who are weaker than us. Serve those who are weaker than us. There was a Christian man years ago, and, and uh, he said perhaps one of the greatest joys he can ever remember as a Christian man was one day when he was in a busy street, and, and the traffic was, was just jostling back and forth in a large city. And uh, all of a sudden, he, uh, he felt this little hand in his, and he looked down, and, and it was this little girl who looked up and said, Mr., would you help me across the street? He said one of the greatest joys of his life. It was an honor and a privilege to help that weak little girl cross that street. There's something about getting strong in order to help the weak. We read this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Comfort the feeble-minded. I thought of this verse last week when I gave Richard back there a pillow. And uh, it was comforting the, the feeble No, I'm just kidding there. But we're told here to comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. That's what we're supposed to do. Get strong in order to help the weak. Now, Peter eventually got strong. And as a result, he was able to help the weak. In, in John 21, when he was still reeling from his denial of the Lord and so ashamed and had quit the ministry and gone back to fishing, Jesus showed up. Restoration time. Christ asked him three times, Peter, do you love me more than this, this fishing business? And, and finally, Peter had to say, Lord, you... You know, I'm fond of you, and so on and so forth. And, and, and anyway, Christ got him back on track. He preached on the day of Pentecost. Thousands were saved. Oh, he had his bumps in the road later on and, and relapses. But we find out that he continued to grow. And we read this from Peter's pen in 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect or complete. Establish, strengthen, Settle you. Peter went from prison to persecution and with a bedrock faith kept on growing until finally he was able to pen the last words of his life as far as we know in Second Peter 3.18 where he said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. And he did. He had come a long ways from that night when Christ said, Peter, the devil wants to sift you as wheat. I'm praying that your strength wouldn't fail. And when you're converted, you're really mature, and you're on the top side spiritually, then turn around and strengthen your brethren. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Getting stronger to help the weak. Peter died a martyr's death, by the way. Well, you have to be pretty committed. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't faking it anymore. He was actually fulfilling those words he'd said earlier when he said, Christ, I, I'll die for you. Well, he wasn't ready then. But he did get stronger, and he did die later on, and he lived for others along the way, and that is our call. It's not to die for the Lord, I don't think, at this time in history, but it's to live for Christ. It's to live for Him so that we can serve sacrificially. This begins, mom and dad, in our homes. If there's a place where we need to be strong, it's in our homes. If there's a reason we need to be getting stronger, is because our kids are weak. Of all people we need to be strong for, it's for our kids. Mom, Dad, we can't afford to be skipping church and skipping devotions. We can't afford to be filling our hearts and minds with the latest harlequin romances or the latest soap operas or the latest things off the web that are sites we shouldn't be clicking onto. They are only weakening us. If we are going to help our kids, it's got to be with God in our heart, not with trash in our heart. 
And it's got to be a, a matter of us getting stronger. Get rid of, rid of that carnal stuff for the kids' sake. You know, Christ said this in Mark 3.27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man. That's really a profound thought, isn't it? And boy, you take it and you bring it over and make the application domestically to the family, and it really rings true. The devil is after our families. He's got to come through you first, Dad. And Mom, let's not exclude you. You need to keep uh, your heart right spiritually as well. Because no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man. They have got to get by me to get to my family. My job is to protect them. My job is to shield them. There are things that I need to and you need to shield your kids from that they are not ready for. And you need to know when they're ready for it. Are they ready for certain associations? Are they ready for a car? Are they ready for a cell phone? Are they ready for internet access? And on and on and on the list goes. Oh, you say, what a prude, you know, what a square. What a, you can call me whatever you want. I have my kids' best interest in mind, and I pray you do as well. There are things they are not ready for. By the way, it sounds like I'm picking on the kids, but at age 12, Christ was strong. You can be a 12-year-old here and be strong. I've known, I've known preteens who were stronger spiritually than their parents. It's pathetic. It really is. You can be 20 and strong. You can be 40 and weak. You can be 60 and weak. I've known Christians in their 60s. Age is not a factor. In fact, we read this in 1 John 2.14. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. We have young people all over this room. Be strong. Be strong. You know, at age 20, I got saved. I crossed a bridge, turned around, and I burned it behind me. I made a commitment. I made a promise to God I wouldn't go back. That was a third of a century ago. That commitment has been tried. That commitment has been tested. By God's grace, I still stand here. Now, I said at the outset, Paul pressed toward a mark. He set a mark. He pressed toward it. And he finished his course. Demas and others, pfft, sad story, isn't it? What was the difference? The difference is this very thing I am talking about. Remembering our mission. Boy, the devil would like to erase that from our minds. Our mission, beloved, is to get strong in order to help the weak. If we keep that in perspective, we'll finish this thing. We'll get through this thing. That's the bottom line. We don't have to be a washout. We have a song in our songbook called, Come Thou Fount. It was written by Robert Robinson. In that song, you'll find this line, Prone to Wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Robert Robinson did not finish strong. I'm sad to report today. Why? Well, he forgot who the mission field was. Who we and they are. He forgot that he was called of God and admonished of God to get strong. Folks, the bottom line is it's not about us. And when we get our eyes off ourselves and onto others and realize, okay, it's all about them. I need to be strong for their sake. We'll finish this thing. God help us. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 
3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.